Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's happening here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media. So be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the message. Well, good morning, everyone. I'm glad you were thawing out and uh, with us to be at church today. Did you feel like you were in a scene from The Revenant last week at some point in time? Looking out there, you know, the food's a little low, and I'm looking out there at those longhorns. I'm thinking, hmm, I hear they're tough, but you know, they make a pretty rug. So win, win. No, it didn't get that bad. But I'm glad you guys are here. Thanks for joining us online, and thanks for sharing the services with us, and I hope the service is a blessing to you. We're in a new series. It's our Easter series called Proof. And we call the series Proof because really that's what John talks about in the Gospel of John. He talks about proofs, things that happened in the life of Jesus, things that he did, to bring about absolute proof that he was who he says he was, He's able to do what he says he can do, and he gives us proof. In fact, the reason for the proof, he said in John 20, verses 30 and 31, the things Jesus did, the signs, the wonders, the miracles that he performed was so that people would believe. It wasn't, he didn't do miracles for the sake of sensationalism. He did these miracles, he did the signs, he did the wonders so that people would come to a place of realizing and recognizing He's God. He is the Messiah. He's the one who has all power. He's the one who can forgive the sin. He's the one who can solve the problem. He's the one who can lift the burden. And can I tell you this morning, no matter who you are, or where you're from, I can tell you Jesus is still the problem solver. You don't have a problem this morning he can't handle. You don't bring anything to him to have him respond to you and say, I'm gonna have to get back with you on that one. That's pretty bad. He's the problem solver. He's the sin forgiver. You haven't done anything that he will not forgive, and he is, the, he is the burden lifter. You're not carrying something this morning. You're watching online, you're not carrying something that he can't lift. There's nothing that he cannot do. And John was an eyewitness to this. John saw Jesus work. Now when John encountered Jesus, he was called one of the sons of thunder. I take it from that that he had a little road rage issues in his life. He was an angry man. And when he encountered Jesus, he was angry, he was hostile, and God did an incredible work in John's life. In fact, God transformed John so much that no one wrote more about love than the man who started out to be the son of thunder. So I'm saying what he can do in John's life, he can do in my life, he can do in your life. There's nothing too hard for him. By the way, there's no one too hard for him. And John's writing, in fact, 98 times in the Gospel of John, he talks about belief or believing. He talks about putting your faith and trust in Christ. And he cites some seven or eight miracles that Jesus did. And the reason he did them again was to bring people to saving faith. So the primary reason John wrote his Gospel was so that people who didn't have faith in God could then place their faith in him. And people who had place their faith in him, could have their faith strengthened in him. So John's talking about the significance of this belief and the belief that we have in Christ Jesus. 
And so John is talking about this, and he's making us aware that when you look in the Bible and you find signs and wonders and miracles that Jesus performed, all of those things were done to bring people to a point of recognizing who he is so that they might then believe in who he is. The Bible speaks of signs. Uh, signs are signifiers. When you roll out of here in a little while, you'll encounter a sign. It's probably going to be a stop sign or maybe a yield sign, or a speed limit sign. It's a signifier. When Jesus did a sign, it was a signifier. He, it was pointing in, in people in a direction. It was saying to people, I am the Messiah. The signs pointed to Jesus. See, all the Bible is about Jesus. If you read the Bible and you miss that, you've missed it all. The Old Testament is about Jesus is coming. The Gospels are about Jesus is here, and Acts to Revelation is about Jesus is coming again. It's all about him. So all the signs point to Jesus. The wonders are the incredible things that he does the, that causes people to marvel. The Bible talks about in Acts 2 about wonders in the heaven and the stars, the thunder. And God cre can create a, a phenomenon that will cause us to marvel. And all of that is done to bring us to an awareness of who he is. So you have signs, you have wonders. Then you have miracles. Now miracle is a word we use to describe something that cannot really be uh, described by anything in the human ability. Uh, we use the word all the time. We say, that was a miracle. I don't know how that happened. How, how did we lose water? What happened to the grid? It's crazy. <laughs> we got through that. It was a miracle, right? I mean, what, you know, so we use that word pretty uh, frequently to describe things we can't describe any other way. And I, I kind of come back to the point of the signs and the wonders and the miracles. The point of those were not for the sake of sensationalism. If Jesus wanted to be sensational, he said, all power is given to me in heaven and earth. He could have called everyone to levitate about three feet every time they got around him. We just float off the ground. People go, whoa, go God, go you, you Jesus. You good, man, you got the power. That isn't why he did it. He could have. He, he didn't do it for that purpose. The, the reason of those events that happened was to bring, again, bring people to faith in Jesus. He didn't want them to want the miracle. He wanted them to want the Messiah. Because so many times, if you're not careful, our faith can become very commercial. We, we have a faith in God because what we get out of him. And faith can be commercial. And so you, you want the miracle more than the miracle worker. And, and God wants us to want him to have a relationship with him and have fellowship with him more than what we, he can do for us. He wants us to want him, to have a relationship and a connection to him. And so time and time throughout the Gospel of John, you'll, you'll see this play out. In fact, when you study the Bible and you see all the incredible miracles that happen through the Bible, I can give you four reasons why every miracle in the Bible happened, and every miracle in the Bible will drop into one of these four categories. Number one, he did it to commence a program. When God was going to start something new, it would often be accompanied by miracles, creation, the church, the ministry of Jesus, the ministries of Elijah and Elisha, the ministries of the apostles. So you have these incredible miracles that happen to commence a program. Uh, number two, to confirm a prophet. Oftentimes, prophets would perform miracles to affirm the fact they were sent from God. And so miracles would accompany them so that people would know this is no ordinary person. This person is not speaking from a man. This person is speaking from God. So to commence a program, to confirm a prophet. Thirdly, to comfort a people. God would often do the miraculous just to so to people. I know where you are. I know what you're going through. I got this. I got you. It's going to be okay. And a miracle would accompany that. And then the fourth 
purpose of them in the scripture was to communicate a principle. When he's teaching his people something, oftentimes it's accompanied by a miracle. Now in the Gospel of John, last week we started the series, Pastor Rob launched it, talking about probably the most famous miracle or one of them that Jesus performed. And remember, it was at a wedding, it was at a party where he turned water into wine. Now that was a miracle that you might say was not you know, um, heavy duty life or death type thing. It was uh, an embarrassment for the family perhaps if you ran out of wine. It, it was a major social faux pas back in the day. Weddings would last sometimes for more than a week. So it was a party. It, it would have been an embarrassment for the groom or for the bride and especially their family who was paying for it all. So Jesus fixes the problem. He turns water into wine. So the first miracle was at a party. But the miracle I wanna to talk to you about this morning is the second miracle. It's not a party, this is a tragedy. I mean, this couldn't be farther from joyous, this could not be farther away from a festive occasion. This was a heavy duty, heart-wrenching, soul-crushing thing that was happening in the life of a family. And Jesus performs a miracle. And as we're going to see that he will use a child, a child to bring a family to faith. In fact, this child is going to prove the power of God. So I've entitled the message this morning, Child Proof. In fact, if you have a Bible, look with me in John chapter four. Let me read the narrative that covers this story. Uh, we'll pick it up in verse 46. So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee where he had made water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. Now Capernaum was about 20 miles away. And when he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then Jesus said to them, him rather, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. Jesus is saying, you're just kind of coming at me for what I can do. You're not coming at me for a relationship with me. And he wasn't really addressing the man as much as he was addressing all the people who had gathered. He says, you just want me to see, see if I can do something else sensational. You really don't want to hear what I have to say. You want to watch what I do. And so he, he, he's not being harsh to this man. He's simply trying to teach a principle that it's easy to want what he can do for you and not want him. But the man persists. Notice again has in verse 49, but the nobleman said to him, sir, sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him saying, your son lives. Then he inquired of them the hour when he had gotten better, and they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever just left him. So the father knew that it was at the very same hour in which Jesus said to him those words, your son lives. And notice what happened. He himself believed and his whole household. Now, the first thing I want to point out from the story is what I'm calling the pervasiveness of problems. The pervasiveness of problems. How when you study the ministry of Jesus, and particularly in the setting that we've just read this morning, people with problems were attracted to Jesus. And here's what's interesting about that. Everybody has problems. 
There's not a person in this room, there's not a person watching online that doesn't have a problem in some place in life, that isn't hurting somewhere in their life, that isn't broken in some area of life. We have it in common. It doesn't matter where you come from, it doesn't matter how much money you make or you don't make, it doesn't matter your social status in life. Here is the example of a nobleman with a problem. Now this nobleman was uh, attached to royalty. This nobleman was highly successful. This is a wealthy man. This is a man who had people working for him. This is a man who could get anything he wanted, anytime he wanted it. Money was no object. He could afford the best doctors. He could afford the best schools. He could afford the best of everything. And all of a sudden, something happens in his life that is beyond his scope and his ability to fix in his own power. And can I tell you, God has an ability, he has a way of bringing people to the end of themselves. There's something about our nature that as long as we can, we will. <laughs> as long as we can fix it, we fix it. As long as we can do it, we'll do it. But ever now and then, and I know in my life and perhaps in yours, if you think about it, God has brought us to places in life where we recognize he's the only one that can help us. You're broken in certain areas where you can't fix yourself. You're hurting in certain ways where you cannot heal yourself. You're going through a trouble and a problem in your life that you cannot fix what's going on in your life. And here was a man who had all of this ability, he had all of this success in his life, but he was overwhelmed with something he could not fix. His heart was shattered. He had a child that was dying. Don't you know when you step into the story, he probably had called the finest specialist of that day to examine his child? Don't you know that every medical option that was available to him, and he would have had options that everything that was available to people in that day were employed for that little boy? I mean, this man had the best of care. He had everyone around him. He had people that were, that were doing all they could to help him, but he came to a point where everyone was saying, look, we have done all we can do. There's nothing that, humanly speaking, that, that can be done to help your child. I don't know if you've ever been there. Some of you have, some of you watching me have, where you have someone in your family, someone in your life, someone who is so sick that the best medical care, the best medicines in the world can be employed for their benefit and the doctors look at you and say, there's nothing we can do. That was this man. They said, there's nothing we can do. Don't you know the heartbreak that was in that home? I know. Don't you know the desperation that he felt in his life? I know. And all of a sudden, someone came to him undoubtedly and said to him, hey, I heard about this guy named Jesus, and this guy named Jesus did something crazy at a wedding last week. You ain't going to believe this. He turned water into wine. And the nobleman's going, well, that's pretty miraculous. Do you believe he did it? He goes, yeah, I was there. I saw it. That same Jesus, do you know he's making his way? He's going to be 20 miles from here. We can go. We can go there. And the man says, you know what? What do I have to lose? I mean, my child is going to die. I, I, I'm desperate. And surely if this man who claims to be God, if he can turn water to wine, there's nothing probably he can't do. I don't have anything to lose. And so you see this man who is facing these problems, and he has just enough faith, just enough faith, to get him to Jesus. 
And can I, can I say to you, as I stopped just long enough to say, you got just enough faith to get to Jesus? I don't care who you are, where you're from, or what you're going through. You, have, you, you've got, you don't need much. <laughs> you got just enough faith to get to Jesus. The Bible says in Matthew 12, God has dealt to everyone the measure of faith. Not a measure. That would mean he gives more faith to some than others. It means we're born in the world with just enough faith to exercise that faith to trust Jesus. He's given us all the same amount of faith, that initial faith. This man's faith was small, and he had just enough faith to say, I, I, I don't know. Maybe it was even a suspicious faith at first. Maybe it was a faith that was um, uh, kind of saturated in doubt. Maybe he was saying, you know, okay, I don't have anything to lose. I have nowhere else to go. I have no one else to turn to. I, oh, I, I need to get to Jesus. Let's go. Let's, let's get to Jesus. And so this man takes just enough faith, just that little faith that he had out of desperation, and he goes to Jesus. And you see the second point this morning, and that is the presence of providence. The presence of providence. You know what I believe from reading the story? God knew who this man was. He knew what this man was going through. Someone as well said, has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? Do you know God knows who you are and he knows what you're going through? I can see you and you can see me and folks online can look in, and, but none of us can see really what we're going through. You can smile on the outside, but your heart can be broken. I wouldn't see that. I mean, none of us really know, but I can tell you there's a God in heaven that knows exactly where you are. It's no accident that you're here. There's no accident you're watching online. God has brought you to this moment because the providential hand of God is at work in your life. There's something he has to say to you. There's something he wants you to hear. It's not an accident. God works providentially. It's a great word. It's a word that can only be used to describe God. It can't be used to describe any of us. When you break the word providential, providence, when you break it apart, it comes from two words, pro-video. It means to see ahead. Providence is to see ahead. Providential is to work in the future. It is God working in the future for some events that will affect our lives around the corner. I don't have that ability. I see life a frame at a time, a day at a time, a moment at a time. I don't see what's around the corner. I, I don't know what tomorrow holds. God does. And I'm just suggesting to you that he knew exactly where this man was. He knew the condition of his son. He knew the need of his family. God was at work providentially in the life of this family in a way that they could not even see it in that moment. In fact, when you look at the way God works and how he works through providence and the beautiful thing of the story that reminds us is that God is accessible. He's available. Remember what Jesus said, those who come to me, I will in no wise cast out. You say, you don't know what I've done. I don't need to know what you do. You don't, you don't know where I've been, Bill. Don't need to know where you've been. Jesus said, if you'll exercise the little bit of faith he's given you, he will in no wise turn you away or cast you aside. You aren't that bad. You haven't gone that far. And this man was exercising this little faith that he had enough to get him to Jesus, and that's all it took. And then all of a sudden he's discovering and he will soon find out how God has been working all along in the tragedy of his life to bring this man and his family to himself. Can I remind you this morning, God is purposeful. He does everything he does on purpose 
with purpose, for purpose. Listen, God is intentional. Listen, when he's doing something we can see, he's also doing something we can't see. I mean, when you can see God at work in your life, understand while you're seeing him do something in your life and you know what he's doing, he's also doing something in your life you can't see. When he's doing something we do know about, let me tell you something, he's also doing something we don't know about. He's purposeful, he's intentional. So when he's doing something, he's doing something. And when he's doing nothing, he's still doing something because he's intentional. So when you think he's silent and you think he's quiet and you think he's not working and you think he's not hearing you, he's working. Everything that is happening in your life, if you read Romans 8, 28, and 29, everything that's happening in our lives have a divine design attached to them. There's a providence at work in this. And let me go out on the limb of supposition far enough to say that I don't know if this man or his family would have ever trusted Christ had they not had this tragedy. I said earlier, there's a tendency we have that if we can fix it, we will. If we can pay for it, we do. If, if, we can, you know, if we can do this without prayer, we tend to do it until God brings us to that place where this man was. Remember what Jesus had said in Matthew 22, if your right eye offends you, pluck it out, you better go into heaven with one than the hell with two. If your right arm offends you, cut it off, you better go into heaven with one than into hell with two. Now again, he's not saying, he's not saying that he's a sovereign sadist that takes pleasure in people's pain. What he is saying is that if it takes some tragedy in your life to ultimately to bring you to Jesus so that ultimately you and your family will be in heaven together, he's more just to allow that tragedy than to let you go out into eternity without him. Think about it that way. Yeah, this was terrible. Yes, this was so crushing, and yes, this was heart-rending, and anybody that's gone through anything like this will tell you the same thing. And this man is going through a terrible situation, and what he doesn't realize in the moment is that God is orchestrating. Maybe he didn't cause it to happen, but he permitted it to happen because he had a purpose for it happening. And let me tell you some of the things I'm still trying to get my head around in my life, and that is there may be some mysteries that God is working out in our lives that we may not understand this side of heaven. I've told you before, I, I, I think there's some dots. I won't get connected this side of heaven. So I try to get comfortable with the fact that God may not explain himself. I may not under, ever understand all that he's doing, but one day I will. And I can tell you, I rest confidently in the fact that God does know what he's doing. He is intentional. He is purposeful. He does work by providence, and he does all things well. And so this man is coming to terms with that. And notice what he does. He presses into God. It's what I call the persistence of prayer. He pre the, the, the Bible says this man, the word implore. And he does it with respect. He says, sir. <laughs> He's saying, Jesus, you don't understand. You're my only hope. If you don't heal my son, my son dies. If you don't forgive my sin, I have no forgiveness. If you don't lift the burden, I carry this burden. If you don't solve the problem, there's no, I have nowhere to go. I have no place to turn. You're my only hope. Jesus, please, and he begs him and he persists. He took what little faith he had and he placed that faith in Jesus. And notice what Jesus does. 
You see the fourth thing, and that's the promise of provision. Jesus says, go. Your son lives. You know what was amazing about that? Is the man, you know, obviously couldn't FaceTime with his family. <laughs> he couldn't text. Hey, how's the boy? I mean, Jesus just told me we're cool, everything's great, the boy's good. He, he couldn't do any of that. Well, you know what he started to do? He had to leave and go 20 miles back home to see if what Jesus had promised him was true. You see, sometimes you don't get the answer overnight. Sometimes when Jesus gives you a word, even though you haven't seen the fulfillment of it, sometimes you have to rest in it and believe it before you ever see it. Sometimes seeing is not believing. Sometimes believing is seeing. This man could have stayed there and said, that's not good enough, Jesus. I need proof. I need more proof. I need greater proof. And Jesus said, the proof is at home. I've already sent my word. He can heal long distance, by the way. He didn't have to be there in person. He said, I've already said that boy is healed. When you get home, that kid is going to be healthier than you've ever seen him in your life. Go. And the man, listen, he receives the word of Jesus. He believes the word of Jesus. He rests in the word of Jesus. And he stands on the word of Jesus. What am I saying to your heart this morning? I'm saying, I don't know what areas you're broken in. I don't know where your problems are. I don't know what the trouble that's hitting your life right now, but I can tell you God will not fail you. And when you find a promise in his word that is to you, like I will never leave you or forsake you, like Romans 8, 28, all things will work together for the good of those who love me and call to my purpose that God has a reason for every season in life. When you have that word, you can stand on it as confidently as this nobleman stood on that word. How does it work? Well, the Bible says in Hebrews 11:1, 1, faith. Faith is substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not yet seen. Faith isn't a leap into the dark. Faith is not me wishing something so much, so strongly so that it becomes so. Faith has substance. Faith has evidence. Substance. Substance, sub, something beneath the surface. A submarine goes beneath the surface of the waves. Sub, beneath, stance, to stand. Faith is substance. Faith is something beneath me upon which I stand. Substance. Romans 10, 17. So faith comes by hearing. Hearing what? Hearing the word of God. What did the man hear? The word of God. Jesus said, your boy's healed. Head to the house. <laughs> what did he do? He stood on what Jesus said. And what I'm saying, ladies and gentlemen, is God can forgive your sin. He can solve your problem. He can lift your burden. When God says it, you can stand on it. And the evidence of that faith was all around him. He, he had heard about the water to wine story. That's what brought him to Jesus to begin with. So he already had evidence of faith. He just hadn't stood on what he heard about. He hadn't acted on it. And now he steps out in faith, and all of a sudden he encounters some of his employees that are coming to meet him. And that's kind of cool, because you know they were so excited when that boy got up. They said, man, we got to go, get to Capernaum. This is this news. We got to go tell him. He's going to be so excited to hear his boy's okay. And they're running. They kind of met each other halfway. And, of course, he asked them an interesting story. He goes, just, just curious. What was the hour? When did he get better? They said, well, yesterday, about the seventh hour. And he went, huh. He said, that was the very same time Jesus told me to go, your son is well. It was confirmation. And you know what the next verses say? The man believed, and not only that, 
his whole house. Why? Childproof. God had proven himself. He had done something so amazing and so spectacular and so incredible that this man could not deny he is who he says he is. And he can do what he says he can do. Friend, I don't know what's needed in your life. I don't know what you're struggling with in your life. I, I, I don't know the challenges of your life, but here's what I can tell you. God will never fail you. He can't lie. He won't lie. I'm not saying, and I wish I could say this, but I can't. I'm not saying every pray, prayer you pray will always work out the way you pray it will work out. That's why Jesus said, pray, my will be done. Sometimes when we go into the presence of God, we pray my will to be done instead of thy will be done. And since Cindy's been in heaven and since our little granddaughter Evie went to heaven, I've learned afresh and anew the reality of this, that God only wants for you what you would want for you if you just knew what he knows. I've had to get comfortable with that. Because here's another contrast of what we've talked about this last year with her home going, and that is over here is a man who prayed and God answered his prayer the way he prayed he would, and he had a healing. But I look over in Samuel where David had a sick baby. He prayed, he fasted, he cried, he pressed into God, and he didn't get the prayer answered in the way that he wanted it. And when the baby died, the Bible says David washed his face he set to eat, he broke his fast, and he said those famous words, I can't bring my little one back to be with me, but I can go to be with my little one. And what he was saying is the promise of God. I will either realize that healing here or I'll realize that healing over there, but one day the family circle won't be broken. So I can tell you as somebody who's prayed prayers, and I've got a lot of them answered, but I can also tell you I'm somebody that's prayed some prayers that I didn't get them answered the way I wanted them. But what I have found is when God doesn't answer the prayers the way I prayed it, I've always found his peace and his assurance. One of the words I stand on, and I give you this as I close this morning, one of the words that I stand on is the promise Jesus gave in John 14. He said, let not your hearts be troubled. You see, you can have a troubled you can have a troubled life without a troubled heart. <laughs> so Jesus said, don't let the trouble of your life get in your heart. Let not your heart be troubled. And then he told him about heaven. You believe in God, believe also in me and my Father's house or many mansions. I love this. He said, if it were not so, I would have told you. So I wouldn't take advantage of you when you're vulnerable. I wouldn't take advantage of you when your emotions are shattered. He said, if there were no heaven, I would tell you. If I didn't have the hope of seeing Cindy again or my grandbaby again, if there were no heaven, Jesus said, I would have told you. But he said, here it is. I go to prepare a place. Topos. Topos, place. We get the word topography. I go to prepare a place. Heaven's a place. I go to prepare a place, and if I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there, you may be also. And I tell you, somewhere in heaven right now, there's a nobleman and his family that are around the throne of God rejoicing for the fact that they came to Jesus one day. Right now in heaven, somewhere around the throne of God, is a man who was a king whose heart was broken because his boy had died. 
and he's in the fellowship of his boy and all of his family, worshiping at the throne of God. Can I tell you, you're looking at somebody that one of these days will be in the presence of God. With my loved ones and my Cindy and my Evie that's gone before, in the presence of God. I stand on that, that's substance. <laughs> I'm gonna stand on it. So folks, if you don't know Jesus, I highly recommend him. Press into him, keep the faith, keep believing. He will not lie, he cannot fail. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that in the times of trials and difficulties, times when it's truly life or death, that you're there. Your providence is there. Your presence is there. And Lord, help us to be assured of the fact that you do all things well. Even things we don't always understand and even things we don't even agree with, you still do things well. And for those who are praying for some miracles, I pray with them, I agree with them, I pray with all my heart they receive the miracles that they pray for. You are a healer. You are a problem solver. You are a burden lifter. You are a sin forgiver. So I, I, I agree with those praying for those miracles. But for some of those who haven't gotten their prayers answered in the way they prayed they would, and their faith has been stretched, and their hearts have been crushed, I pray they'll keep the faith. I pray that they know one day in your presence the dots will be connected, and one day in your presence we'll understand and we'll continue to praise. So, Father, encourage all of us, regardless of where we are. Encourage us with your presence. And if there's anyone watching, anyone in the room who never trusted you as Savior, I pray this might be the moment when they swallow their pride with all their heart. They say, Lord Jesus, with everything I know about me, I now trust all that I know about you. Come into my heart, forgive my sin. It's my prayer that I pray. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us by visiting metchurch.com so that we can follow up with you this week. We look forward to seeing you next week.